Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zivi Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Adam Rubin is the author of The Ice Cream Machine. And he is also the number one New York Times bestselling author of 10 critically acclaimed books, including Dragons Love Tacos, Dragons Love Tacos 2, the sequel, High Five, Secret Pizza Party, Robo Sauce, and El Chupa Cabras, which won the Texas Blue Bonnet Award. You can follow him on Twitter at Rubingo. Welcome, Adam. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. So excited to have you here to discuss your latest book, The Ice Cream Machine, and just all your amazing work. Thank you for having me. I'm glad moms have time to listen to podcasts, at least. I mean, I hope they do. Someone's got to be listening. I don't know. There's probably <laughs> some sort of technology to tell you. Yes. Everyone's listening. <laughs> no, I'm, I know people are listening. I don't know who they are, though. That would be nice. Maybe you all could send me an email every so often, so I know. But anyway. Just a little a little hello, a little, little photo of you, where you are when you're listening. Yeah, that'd be great. It's a picture. Even better. Yes, we could start a whole campaign. You can tag Adam. <laughs> tag Adam to let him know that this worked. <laughs> yeah, tag me. I would love to know where you were listening to this. And I would say, I'll send you a 
photo back of where I am when I see the photo. Ooh. You, where you're listening to it. It will be this whole, it'll be like a whole chain. I love it. A viral campaign. (laughs) Perfect. All right. Everybody, if you're listening, stop what you're doing. Take a picture and tag Adam Rubin. Are you just at Adam Rubin? I'm on Twitter at Rubingo. Rubingo, that's right. You're not on Instagram? You know, I feel weird about Instagram. I don't know how to deal with Instagram because it's extraordinarily intimate, I feel, to post photos of yourself. So I guess it is a big ask to invite people to send a photo, but it just, I don't know. It it started feeling a little weird when most of the people following me on Instagram and looking at my vacation pictures were people I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And I still don't really know how to reconcile that. So I haven't, I haven't quite figured out how to deal with Instagram. Yeah. I actually love Instagram, but you know, you don't have to post your vacation pictures. What do you post? Actually, I guess I did post a vacation picture recently. I'm not an artist. If I was, I have friends that are visual artists and Instagram for them is wonderful because they post pictures of their work and people get to see it. And they get a lot of, they even get like professional jobs from art directors who scroll through Instagram and look for great illustrators or photographers or painters. And for me, I'm a word person. So like, I'm going to take a picture of this. This is, you know, like, this is the most interesting visual stuff I've got. It's not, not so compelling. Other than that, it's like a snapshot. It's like, I'm showing pictures of my life, which is, is very intimate. Yeah. I don't know. I've somehow come to terms with it. I, like, I really like taking pictures, showing pictures of what I'm reading or people who I've had on the podcast, or I'm like, here are the four podcasts I just did, or mm-hmm. here's some books that I think are great, or... Absolutely. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very powerful marketing tool, and I'm willing to use it as that. I just posted a photo of my new book, but I try to remember that it is an advertising platform, and I don't really want to advertise myself. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So you don't have to post it on Instagram, listeners. <laughs> post it on Twitter. Why not? You know, I really like Instagram, though. I find Twitter very hard to use. I I, I don't know where to start. I I don't know it. I I don't know what to do with Twitter, and I feel like everybody on Twitter is mean, and I get very scared. So I kind of dip in and dip out, and just try to get out of there. Like I'm, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm yeah. scared of the Twitter people. It, not it, that they're all bad, but it can be intense. No question. There's some there's some meanies lurking out there on Twitter. Yeah. So maybe... And it makes it exciting. (laughs) No, I don't find that exciting. I'm, I I have, I don't know. I need to be in like a warm and fuzzy place like my Instagram Mm -hmm. feed. Okay, anyway, off topic. Your new book. First of all, your old books. As with most people who have kids, I have four kids of my own who are obsessed with your books. We've read all your books. We read them night and day. We've been reading them for years. I have kids who are 14 and a half and seven and eight and everybody loves the books. Everybody's so excited. So I was asking them this morning what to talk to you about or what questions they would have. So my daughter, who's eight, wants to know what inspired you to start writing for children. You know, they say luck is chance or wait, luck. They say luck is opportunity, meaning preparation, right? Is that right? Well, when I was about 22, I got a call from my friend, Corey. I was working in advertising at the time. I was writing Happy Meal commercials at a company called Leo Burnett. (laughs) And I got a call from my buddy, Corey. And there's like, it's just weird how it worked out, but there's like the stinky cheese man is on my shelf. My desk is covered with toys because every time I got to write a commercial for a Happy Meal, they send me all the toys that are in the Happy Meal. And there's six toys in each option of a Happy Meal. So I'm surrounded by children's toys. I'm surrounded by children's books. And my friend calls me up and says, hey, you should work with my my friend, Dan. He just graduated. He's a year behind us in school and he wants to illustrate picture books. 
and you guys should work together because you'd really hit it off. I know you both well. I know you've never met, but you've got a similar sense of humor and you should talk. So we did. And he was right. And we hit it off right away. And we've been friends ever since. He was the witness at my wedding <laughs> during the pandemic. And we started making books together. I wrote a story about this old man that was fighting with the squirrels in his backyard that were stealing from his bird feeders. It was inspired by my dad. When I was a kid, I lived in the woods and my dad would constantly be outsmarted by the squirrels who were stealing from the bird feeders that he set up. And uh, Dan did some sketches for it. He liked the manuscript. He was he went out and hit the bricks in, in New York and was knocking on doors and dropping off his portfolio to different art directors. And we got a book deal. It was just one book. It was a little book. Nobody expected really anything of it. I thought, oh, that was a fun thing. I'll never do again. But it was so satisfying and so like fulfilling to see someone illustrate the words that I had written. And I got a little bit of that sense working in the advertising world because there is a bit of like copy and art relationship and collaboration, but it was different with the story, of course. And then to see the book, the physical book on the shelf, that was maybe one of the most thrilling moments of my whole life when I first walked into a bookstore and there was uh, something that I wrote on the shelf. And even still, I get this thrill, especially when it's someplace unexpected, like an airport. And you walk in and there's there's your idea in a physical form on the shelf. That is really exciting to see. And I just thought it was great. I, I was so happy about the whole thing. And I never imagined it would be my full-time job. But we got a nice award from Borders, which was a bookstore back in the 90s and 2000s that said we were the best original voices or something like that. And that was really flattering. But more importantly, it gave us an opportunity to make two more Squirrels books, which we did very happily. And then a couple of years after that, I proposed an idea for a book to the publisher that they thought was too silly and they passed on it. But Dan's agent, Rebecca Sherman, really liked it. So she brought it to somebody else and they wound up buying it. And that book was called Dragons Love Tacos. So after that and a few more other books that were, were way more popular than I ever expected, <laughs> I quit my day job in advertising and, and started writing full time. Wow. So the question was, how did I wind up writing for kids? And the truth of it is, I'm not really writing for kids. I'm writing for me. You know, Maurice Sendak always used to say that the difference between children's books and adult books is marketing. And now that I've written a middle grade book, I, I really see how much that's true because words are words. Obviously, you don't want to put drug use or, or any sort of serious adult themes in a book for kids. But I find that when people are really trying to talk down to their audience or trying to really figure out what the people they're writing for want to hear or want to read about, it feels fake. It feels like too manufactured. It feels like a marketing product. And it's just from a writer's perspective, it's so much more satisfying to write things that you like and that you are proud of. So that's what I've always tried to do. And that's, that's the advice I would give to anybody that's trying to write for kids is like, don't, maybe don't dumb it down, you know, try to make something you really think is great, but doesn't have anything in it that's going to give a kid nightmares or ruin their day. <laughs> Unless that's what you're going for, because R.L. Stein made a career out of that, right? Yes, that's true. 
No, we have enough things that the kids are scared of. Thank you very much. Don't need any more night terrors or anything. <laughs> some kids like to be scared. Just like us. I don't like scary movies, but some people, some of my friends, they love watching horror, horrifying things. Yeah. And I'm with you. I think you want to be scared. Turn on the news. <laughs> you know, go go out for a walk or talk to somebody that's down on their luck. Like there's a lot of reality that is horrifying. I prefer to make fictional things that are funny or a little distracting from that sort of anguish. Yes. I actually have a children's book coming out in April from Flamingo from part of Penguin Random House. It's called Oh Princess. cool. Yeah, it's about a character named Princess Charming. So Princess Charming. Oh, I see what you're doing. Yeah. Got a little twist at the end. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, you'll see. Okay, your new book. First of all, I loved the parts where you talk about the magic of words because I think about this all the time. Obviously, I'm like immersed in words all the time and I'm always marveling at like does anybody else see how cool this is that like I'm inside your head and I can just read what you're thinking and this is like magic and anytime I want, I can dip into your words or or words that I wrote like 30 years ago that like now I can pull out an older version of me and like here I am. It's so cool. Anyway, I love that you start the whole thing with just marveling on this thing that everybody kind of takes for granted. Writing is magic. It really is. It's it, think about before they had writing and then after they had writing. Just that change in human culture and the sharing of information and the recording of information, it's, it lasts hypothetically forever. And that is just in itself incredible. But the idea, like you said, that you can describe something and then put that idea into someone else's mind, it's almost like a form of telepathy to be able to merge your imagination with somebody else's. Now, they never see exactly what you saw. And, and, even the greatest writers in the world struggle to, to communicate exactly what they put on the, to, to, you know, to get what exactly what they were trying to put into the reader's imagination to manifest there in full detail. But that's also another part of the magic of writing is it's totally subjective. The thing that you are trying to say is not always what people take away from what you wrote. So there's all these different facets of writing that, to me are completely fascinating and it's exciting or it's, it's, it's a privilege to be able to talk about it with an audience of people that maybe aren't familiar with that power and to give them the opportunity to express themselves and feel that power that you get from being able to do and create whatever you want. That's a rare invitation that a kid is asked to say or do anything that they want. Most of the time they're working under very specific <laughs> constraints. It's true. I love the rebranding on the part of kids. I, we, you're basically just rebranding reading for kids, rebranding it as a, an act of, you know, something that should be on like a magic kid, just like what oh, you're saying, but it's just so Reading is closely related to writing, of course, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's a little different because for the past 10 years, I've been the guy that shows up at the gymnasium and they stuff all the kids in the, in the gym and they give me a microphone. And by the way, nobody ever asks me what I'm going to say. They're never like, Hey, can we see your notes? Or like, don't do that. They just, the fact that I wrote a book somehow qualifies me to talk <laughs> with no censorship at all. So yes, yeah, so I, I get out there and I, what do I, I, nobody says, this is what you should tell the kids. So for 10 years, I've been telling them, Reading is fun. And I try to 
show them that because I write books that they think are fun. I try to, we try to have fun while I'm there in person. And I want them to leave that assembly and think, yeah, maybe reading is fun. That's cool. I can go places I've never been before. I can meet people that I, that never existed. I can go explore the world. And that is fun and, and very cool and magical, but it's a little passive. And I started to question that message after a decade of, of sharing this idea because it started to feel a little passive and consumerist and, and maybe even self-serving, you know, reading is fun, read my books, you know? <laughs> so, it, so I started to think that there is a more profound opportunity for me to encourage these kids to create stuff on their own and to share the ideas that they have swirling around in their imaginations. Kids are fearless. It's one of my favorite things about hanging out with young people is they haven't burdened themselves with the shackles of comparison. When adults think about writing, they're constantly thinking about how they're not as good as that writer that they love or drawing even or singing. And the young kid thinks they're a great singer, thinks they're a great writer or drawer. And eventually by comparison with their classmates or, or whatever else they see in the world, they decide I am not a good drawer. And so I should not draw. And that sucks because drawing is fun and singing is fun. Even if you're bad at it. I mean, look at karaoke. It's a perfect example. Like, you don't have to be good at singing to have fun singing. And that's true for almost any artistic expression. Now there are people that will say, Oh, you shouldn't tell everyone they're going to be a professional author, like you're setting their expectations. I'm not saying that. And, and it's a weird jump that people have come to that. It's like, Oh, so we shouldn't teach kids how to play basketball because they're never going to play in the NBA. No, you want people. There's so many benefits to just practicing something to just going out there and going for a run. Are you going to win a gold medal? No, who cares? You love running and it gives you all these physical mental benefits. And the same is true of writing. I think that if you get kids to express themselves and help them to express themselves more clearly, it not only helps them personally, it helps society, helps the world because it's a symptom of ignorance. It's a symptom, it's, you know, it's a symptom of, of this, this, like, you know, this problem that we have where people can't even agree on the set of facts that they're going to have an argument about. Part of that is because they're not good enough at expressing themselves. And when you are writing, especially fiction, you have to practice empathy because you have to imagine what these characters might be feeling. And if we can get a generation of young people to improve their empathy, that can only help society become a more loving and understanding kind of place to live. I love it. I absolutely love that. And you had such a funny line, by the way, when you said that when you write, you have the opportunity, you don't always have to put forth the opinions that you believe to be right. And that the people who want to do that tend to be politicians. <laughs> so <look. laughs> or something like that, maybe I mangled your quote, but it was something like that. I said something along the lines of how the, the most popular question I get asked from kids and adults is where do you get your ideas from? Or how do you come up with ideas? And the truth of it is that people have ideas all day long, not just writers, but airplane pilots and pastry chefs and samurais. They have ideas all day, every day. The trick is not having the ideas. The trick is letting yourself believe that, it, that your idea is a good idea from time to time. Because the people that think that all their ideas are good ideas often go into politics. That was something along those lines. And, and yes, you look, it's culturally 
universally funny to make fun of politicians because by definition, they've pissed everybody off in some way or another. But I, you know, I wish that more people that were empathetic and, and, and selfless would go into politics. I don't know anything about politics. It just, I, yeah. I don't want to talk about it. Okay, I'm kidding. We're not talking about politics. I also don't want to talk about politics at all. I just appreciated the humor. So I'll leave it at that. That is a funny, that is funny in every culture, in every language. I've traveled a lot around the world. I always try to learn like a couple words in the different languages. And I can say some jokes in, in, in a bunch of different languages. I don't know any, I don't know how to speak them. In some cases, I don't even know the words I'm saying, which word means what. But it just helps kind of break the ice when you're somewhere where you're in a different culture and you're so obviously <laughs> bewildered by what the hell is going on everywhere. So I've learned that it is always funny to make fun of politicians. And it's always funny to accuse an old man of having a secret family. <laughs> these are just things like it doesn't matter where you are. It's just these are things that people think are funny. Wow. And I lived in Spain for three years. And that was part of the revelation to me of this whole idea of writing being so magical because you realize when you see something in a different language that you don't speak like Catalan, for example, that it's, it's meaningless. It's, it's just squiggly lines. Or if you go to, to China or Russia and you don't know the alphabet, it's like, you don't, you just can't even imagine what it might mean. And yet if it's in a language you do speak, it's so immediately clear that you completely take it for granted. And, but in the U S we're, overwhelmingly monolingual. And so we don't have that kind of experience very often, but it is, it is really profound (laughs) and kind of surprising once you realize, oh, what I'm saying, what I'm writing is not necessarily what everybody else understands. This is like when I was a kid and I was like, how do I know that the color red that's in my head is the same color red? Maybe for you, it's blue. And I was like, that's right. Amazed by this. Just yeah. Thought. <laughs> the, the, the realization that reality is subjective is kind of mind expanding for a kid. For me, it came through learning magic tricks. And when I was a kid, I would I learned a bunch of magic tricks. I still know about I mean, this is a magic poster. Some of these are magic books. I love magic tricks. And part of the reason that I love magic tricks and optical illusions and puzzles is because they're like definitive proof that reality is subjective. Hmm. Because what feels like a miracle to my dad, when I walk into his office and show him something to me, is just like, there's a piece of string, you know, and I, he, he just can't see it. And so that was, that led me down a whole path that, that has, is still, I'm still traveling to this day. It's endlessly fascinating to me. Yes. Wow. I agree. You made a comment in the book about how, how this had been your first middle grade book and how it was so hard that you ended up throwing away half of it and starting over or something like that or had to rewrite. What happened? One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com <sighs> It's okay. <laughs> you don't Zibby, have to talk I, about it, actually. Maybe I'm like yeah. re-traumatizing you. No, Zibby, I, okay, so I'd never written a 400-page book before. And I was so intimidated by the word count that that was all I could focus on. I was like, all right, I just got to write a thousand words a day or, you know, whatever. I think, you know, 500 words a day or a thousand words a day. I don't remember what I was trying, what I was going for. But I thought if I just keep going like this, eventually 40 days from now or 60 days from now, I'll have a 60,000 word book and I'll be done. And then I can, and then I can edit. And then that will be the easy part. This is what I thought. So I wrote 60,000 words. And then I went back and read it and it was a fucking mess. I couldn't, I didn't know what to do. I was like, wow, what a waste of time that was. So I have, so I've learned the value of outlines and how important it is to make a detailed outline, not just like a general outline, but really to, to treat your outline with the same respect as a draft where you make it, give it some time away from it, come back to it, look at it with a critical eye, try to poke holes in it because it will save you so much time later on. And even now, like I'm working on the, the second installment of short stories, the second collection of short stories to follow up on the ice cream machine. And like, there's a story, it's, 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 it's coming up on a third draft. And I, I have to make this big change that is going to take a long time to fix because you make that one little tweak and then there's all these domino effects and you got to change everything. That's, and then you got to go back through and make sure you didn't screw anything up or totally, totally break the universe. So yeah, outlines, super important, very helpful. <laughs> and yet you're doing it again. Like you're, you're going to do it. You're well, it happens, right? You, you, you can't really know what the story is going to be about or exactly how it's going to be until you write it. And sometimes you write it and you read it and you go, Oh dang, this it's missing something. Like it should be spookier mm-hmm. or it, this character, why are they doing that? I know they need to do that, but why are they doing that? And then you realize, oh, because they need that rock. They need it. So now I got to, now I got to make sure they need that rock all the way through and every scene they're in. So that happens. I mean, you can never know for sure. I've been doing George Saunders story club. Have you, have you done that? I have not. Oh man. It's so great. It's he's as good a teacher as he is a writer. Huh? Okay. And it's so illuminating and interesting and encouraging to read his thoughts about writing. He's obviously been teaching at Syracuse for a long time at the MFA program, but the way he approaches it is so, what's the opposite of precious? Experimental, like bold or, or expansive, fearless, fearless, just like those kids. It's like you, you just write it and then you see what it is and you, you, you discover what it needs to be through the process and how it needs to change. And there's no right or wrong. And I love that attitude. I love that philosophy. It makes me feel excited about writing 
Yeah. Why not? Just throw it out there. See what's I would highly recommend subscribing to George Saunders' Story Club. It is excellent. And how did you end up, by the way, having all the different illustrators illustrate this book? Because that's pretty rare to find also. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, I've been telling kids reading is fun for a while now. And I wanted to convince them that writing is fun. And I have found through experience that the biggest hurdle for kids, just like adults, is getting started. The terrifying sight of the blank page has stopped many aspiring writers from ever putting pen to paper or tickling the keyboard. And it's related to that question that I get asked all the time is where's your, where do your ideas come from? And some people seem to think they have to have some sort of excellent idea or groundbreaking idea in order to write anything or make anything. And the truth is the idea is just an excuse to get started. So what I tried to do is give everybody that reads the book an idea, which was the title, the ice cream machine, because for me, and this is different for every writer, I'm sure, but for me, I always start with the title. And so I look at the ice cream machine and I think this could be a million different stories. And I can say that, but who's going to believe me? So I wrote six totally different stories with the same title, the ice cream machine. And they're totally different. They're different genres, different characters, different universes. My hope is that that is proof enough for a reader to say, okay, I wrote six. Now you write one. What's your version of the ice cream machine? You've got the title. You know where to start. Go ahead and write your own story. I actually want to read those stories too. Like I put my address in the book. I saw that. It's sent it to me. I don't know if you have a physical copy, but the dust jacket of the book actually comes off, turns inside out and transforms into an envelope that's already addressed to me. So the kid can put their story into that envelope, slap a stamp on it, and it will get to me in New York. And if I get enough responses before the end of the year, I'm going to put the best ones in the paperback edition of the ice cream. How cool would that be? That's really cool. For like a fifth grade kid to be a published author. Wow. So to the illustrators, I thought all of these stories are different. I really want them to feel like they have are from a totally different universe and that they're totally distinct. And I got this idea that it would be even more eclectic and and diverse and wild to have every single story be illustrated by a different illustrator. And it's it turns out that it looks awesome in the book. You flip through, you see all these different styles, these different people from all over the world that have illustrated these stories. In this book, there's Sierra Miller, Nicole Miles, Charles Santoso, Emily Hughes, Liniers, and my pal Daniel Salmeri. But more than that, it was like selfishly a, a real opportunity to just collaborate with six very smart, very talented people because they read the stories and they had ideas about the stories. And then I got to incorporate their great ideas and they brought them to life in a way that I couldn't have done without them. So in that way, it was for me, six times as exciting as working with just one illustrator. That's amazing. I love that. But are you, you're still going to do more picture books or are you? Yeah. Yeah. I love picture books and I don't, want to be one of those people that's like, I have seven picture books coming out this year. I don't, I, I mean, yes, I could write a picture book that fast, but it's like writing a song, you know, like you want it to be, you want it to be memorable. You want it to be something that you hum while you're walking down the street and it gets stuck in your head. So I do have some ideas for picture books, but I'm, I, I like to kind of one a year, maybe at most, but I had a really cool idea for one that I got to build a prototype. It's sort of 
it's like if RoboSauce was a paper engineering challenge, this one's going to be, it's like borderline pop-up. I don't know. I don't know. I got to figure it out, but it, I, I'm excited about it. I love how you're, you see the book as such an object, like that the book itself isn't part of the experience, that it's not it just- really It really is. It really is because, look, you read a PDF of this book, The Ice Machine, right? Yes. It's just not the same. I know. It's just not the same. There's this kinesthetic experience of dealing with an object, of the ritual you have. Because, yeah, you do a lot of stuff in front of the computer, and some of it's fun, and some of it's really not fun. But when you sit on the couch and you read a book, for me at least, I'm lucky, it's always for pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I go into a, a mindset that is about enjoying and relishing this time that I have with these with this author's words and the, the sound of the pages turning and the feel of the book in my hand. And like, I just got this great coffee table book, this artist, uh, this designer called Nendo. It's a, like a design collective in Japan. And it's so heavy and it's hard to read the book. Like, you know, it's one of those huge, not Tash, it's a fighting book, but it's so mm-hmm. big. And, and that's a totally different experience. So I have to, I can't sit in the way that I usually read. I have to like sit down and look at these pictures and and all of that contributes to a more rich and memorable experience with the stories, with the book, with the content that's on those pages. So, yeah, I, I've I've had a Kobo and, and read on the beach, and that is nice. But I find I remember those books poorly. Yes. Knowing how far you are along in the story and seeing where the bookmark is and and where it is on the page, all of that somehow in my brain makes it a little easier to remember the whole thing. Me too. And having it on the shelf. And then every time I see it, I like get reminded of it. And I think about the characters again. And, right? Yeah. I notice you have your books color-coded behind I you. I do. I know this very, is, yes. Very controversial. Very controversial. It is very controversial. <laughs> it is. I know. I didn't realize how controversial. It's been like that for a year. But yeah, I love it. Look, everybody, it everybody it found happy, a pandemic so, hobby. You know. So I said everybody found a pandemic hobby. So you Yes, know, exactly. It, yes, this is what I did. Yeah. But do you find... That when you're in your room with your books, you feel smarter. Do I feel smarter? Like I, you know more, like your knowledge is is, is at hand, yeah. is, is more palpable and easier to access. Because when I moved to Barcelona, I brought like a backpack and a, and, a, and a suitcase. I put everything in storage. I had nothing with me. And when I came back to New York three years later, I have, I mean, I have a lot of books. This is a sliver. And when I unpacked all those boxes and put all those books on the sh- books on the shelf, like it felt like part of my brain mm-hmm. had had been the mist had been cleared away, and now all those things that I had read were just a little bit more accessible in my memory. Yes, it's true. I also feel like all the characters. This is going to sound ridiculous, but you know, when I look around, it's like there are actually all these characters sort of dancing in the room, right? They're they're oh. all like hidden behind the spines and like, but really they're all here in the room. I, I, this sounds ridiculous. But no, I, I feel love like I'm, I'm actually in a room with like all these characters and sometimes I want to like introduce the characters to each other in different books. And who would be, who would be your matchmaking pair? I actually was so convinced that these two characters would be friends that I emailed the authors, Alyssa Friedland and Lauren Weisberger. And I was like, the main characters of your books have to meet. You know, because I'm always like introducing people. That's like, and I was like, these guys have to meet. Could you just like write a, you have to like, just, I don't know, get them to meet, write it together. So they can, they were like, oh, that's nice. But <laughs> <laughs> at least go out for coffee. Or something. Anyway, I know it's ridiculous, but I do, I feel like characters have a whole life and why should the life end 
right? You put it out into the universe and then, you know, it, it doesn't end. Like these characters, I keep thinking about a lot of the characters and who's to say their life ends just because you stop writing about them. You're a connector. I'm a connector. I am. Yeah. That's a very, that's a very selfless and important kind of role to play. That's what Corey did for me and Dan. He, he is a connector. He's the kind of guy that walks around New York City and somebody, and you can't go anywhere with him. You go to some like basement bar in Queens and somebody walks in, hey, Corey. I mean, he is just that, that sort of a person. And those people are fun to be friends with because you wind up going to cool parties. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be friends. Yeah. <laughs> I know when my, my husband, when he moved to New York, he was like, I don't understand how every time we open the door, like you run into somebody, you know, how is that even possible? Like, and I'm like, I don't know. It's just one of those things. So are you good at remembering names? I wish I were better as I've gotten older. I'm not as good. And I hate that, but I remember other things about them. I heard a good trick. Okay. I've used this trick. It works for me. I don't know if I'm just good at remembering names or not, but it's that you say the name three times when you first mm-hmm. meet the person. Well, the first thing is you have to want to remember their name. Yes. That's the first thing. Right, you have to that's care. like, mm-hmm. it's, it's like Taoist, right? It's like eliminate desire. First step, eliminate. Okay. That's a hard one, but yeah, so you have yeah. to really want to remember their name. And then the, the second step is you say it three times. So like, you're like Zibby. And I go, Oh, Zibby. That's an interesting name. Zibby. I've never met a Zibby before. And now I've got Zibby. Now, I, how do you forget? Well, probably very few people forget your name, but that's a little technique I've been using in all of the many, many people I'm meeting in person in the last two years. All right. I'll try that. Yeah. My husband always makes it sound funny. Like Adam, Adam, how you doing? You know, like, yeah. so he has to like separate the syllables and make it like a fun saying. And then he remembers. Whatever works for you. Whatever works for you. There's nothing. Everybody's favorite word is their own name. True. And so if Should you I remember somebody's name, huh? <laughs> Should I say yours a few more times? Adam, yeah. You know, what's weird, this is just a little personal quirk, but when I was a kid, there were so many Adams in my grade growing up in upstate New York. I say upstate New York because I'm sitting in Manhattan or sitting in Brooklyn, but it's actually the southernmost tip of New York in Rockland County. But there was nine Adams. I'm not exaggerating. Nine Adams in my grade. It was a very popular name in the early 80s. and so I was never called Adam. I was always called Ruben, even today. And, and it, that has continued. Like all through high school, I was Ruben, college Ruben. Even now, people meet me. They Maybe they call me Adam when they first meet me, but eventually they wind up calling me Ruben. My wife, for example, if we're in a crowd and she's trying to get my attention, she won't yell Adam. I won't turn around. She'll yell Ruben. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Secret trick here. Secrets. Secrets. Love it. By the way, I you should have a podcast. I don't think you have one unless you're, you're hiding. Do you have a podcast? TBD. Okay. TBD. Stay tuned. Okay. I was going to say, if you don't, you want it on my, you know, I can help or put you on the network or whatever, hook you up, but it sounds like you're all good. Okay. I, yeah. We'll see. Let's see what happens. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm fingers crossed. Okay. All right. Well, I better let you go. I feel like I could talk to you all day, but I... Can I plug the book? I, I, you plugged the book. Okay, good. Ice cream machine. Ice cream machine. Ice cream machine. Yeah. <laughs> if you want your children, if you want the children in your life that you know, the kids to become fully actualized, happy people, you must buy them this book. And likely you should buy two copies for them in case they want to read it more than once. Good pitch. I like it. Thank you. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Bye, Adam. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks for coming. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. 
Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.